Uh, Matthew chapter number two tonight is where we are going to jump in the scriptures. Uh, tonight will be a little different from uh, Pastor Malcolm's uh, verse by verse teaching through a book of the Bible. Those are uh, how he does that is basically what we call expository messages because he's taken a section of the Bible and he is expositing or expounding on those sections in depth and in detail. Tonight we're going to take a break from that and uh, do a topical message. A topical message is when you take a, a subject matter or a topic in the Bible and you um, build the message around that topic from many different places in the Bible. And so tonight we are going to use Matthew chapter 2 as our spot to gain our topic of gift giving tonight. And I want to talk to you about gifts for the people in our lives. Gifts for the people in our lives. Let's just read this one verse, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 11, and then I'll let you have a seat and we'll pray. The Bible says, and when they were come into the house, this is the, the wise men, of course, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They presented unto the newborn Christ these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for blessing us with another uh, day, another Wednesday night Bible study time. And I pray that you would use this time uh, to help us tonight. Lord, you know what everybody in here needs. Lord, there's uh, as many people as there is, there's that many different special needs and prayer requests and uh, burdens and, uh, and also joys. And Lord, we're so glad that you and only you can take your word and meet every need simultaneously. And so, Lord, touch us tonight. Thank you for these precious people being here on a holiday weekday um, during the middle of the week to come and hear from God's word. I pray you touch us, Lord. I thank you and will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. Of course, it's the, uh, the season of giving. Amen? Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like gifts. I mean, I really, really do. I enjoy uh, giving gifts. I, and I really enjoy receiving gifts. I don't know how old you got to be to grow out of that, but I, I like gifts. I, I got a really awesome gift earlier today, and uh, I just 
enjoyed that gift so much. And I really enjoy giving gifts, obviously, as well. Here in, in this verse in Matthew chapter 2, uh, it's, it, it's the account of when the wise men or the magi came to see this newborn baby that was called Jesus. We don't know how many of them came. Tradition, we say three, but that's only because of tradition. And I think that's because there was three gifts, three basic gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were presented. So we probably have just correlated that number of gifts with the number of, uh, of men that came from the east, probably Arabia or somewhere of that nature. But the fact is, the Bible doesn't say exactly how many of them that there were. But in uh, this day, this time uh, that this was written, gifts were very common. You would not go to see royalty without bearing and bringing gifts. That's how you approached royalty. If you remember, uh, I think it was the Queen of Sheba when she came uh, to see uh, Solomon and to see all of his splendor and all of his glory. And she, she said, she left and said, oh my, the half has not even been told. But when she came, she came bearing gifts. And it was not because King Solomon needed more stuff. He didn't need more things, but it was the custom to bring gifts when you would visit royalty. And certainly the gifts that uh, the Magi brought to Christ at his birth were gifts that represented who he was. For example, gold was a gift that was commonly given to kings. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 that, that of his throne, Jesus' throne, there would be no end. He would sit on the throne of his father David and there would be no end to that throne. He was a king born in a manger. Say amen right there. These uh, wise men, they also brought a gift of myrrh. Myrrh was a, uh, a gum-like fragrance that was commonly used for embalming the dead. And many uh, people who have commentated uh, and commented on the, the scriptures uh, will tell you that that was in representation of the death of Christ. And certainly we know from, uh, from John 19 that his body was fragranted with this scent, this myrrh. Also uh, frankincense. They brought frankincense. And frankincense was a gift in that day that was commonly given to priests. And this Wednesday night crowd, we should have absolutely no doubt at this point in the Hebrews Bible study that Jesus Christ was the and is our great high priest. Amen. Say amen right there. Hallelujah. 
I mean, a preacher uh, uh, Malcolm has done, uh, taught us up one side and down the n another, how much of a priest and how important that is uh, in our life today, the priesthood of Christ. And so they brought him gifts. They brought him gifts. This is a seizing of giving and of receiving. The Christmas season. And I love it and I hope you do too. I thought today about the greatest gift. What's the greatest gift that has ever been given? And my mind went straight to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I don't think we'd get any argument out of this crowd that Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. Amen? Amen. I want to uh, do this tonight. I want to look at four categories of people who are in all of our lives. And let's look at the gifts that we can give these four different categories today. Let's look at category number one. Uh, and category number one is our family. Our family. You know, gift giving is probably done primarily in your family and then with some friends and, and people like that on the outskirts. Our neighbors brought, uh, just before church, our neighbors came over and they had a gift bag and, and they brought us a, a gift and wished us a, a Merry Christmas and we'll give gifts to people at work and, and, and special friends. But always, it seems, our family is the first ones that we think about when it's time to give a gift. And you know what the greatest gift probably that we can give our family is the gift of our time. Amen. The gift of our time. You know, a friend of mine told me yesterday we were talking about this subject of time. And he told me, he said, there's one thing about time. And that, and, and I was like, what is it? And, and he said, well, well, the one thing is, once it's used, you can't get it back. He said, you can either invest it wisely, or maybe you can squander it. But one thing's for sure. When it's gone, it's gone. That took me back to my childhood, and I thought about... VHS tapes and, and cassette tapes and how they had those rewind buttons on them, you know, and you could rewind the tape. Yeah. There's probably somebody in here don't even know nothing about rewinding nothing. <laughs> but, but, but I would, I had some favorite cassette tapes and things and I'd listen to one song and I liked, I'd like it so good I didn't want to go on to the next one because I didn't like it so good. I'd hit the rewind button and I'd go back and play that one over. It was like going back in time and getting that song back. 
But you know what? With actual time, once it's gone, it's gone. Time has no rewind button. James chapter 4 tells us something about time. The Bible says in James 4.14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And that's proof that even the entirety of our life if we live to, to what we might call a, a ripe old age, even that lifetime, according to the Bible, is just a snippet out of history. And so if our entire life, if God considers our entire life like just a vapor that appears and then vanishes away, then my goodness, what are the days of our life? What are the weeks, the months, the years of our life? Oh my. How do we give our family the gift of our time? I want to submit to you two things under here. A, by avoiding. By avoiding. Well, what in the world do you mean about that. I mean avoid the hustle and the bustle of the holiday season. I mean avoid the commercialization of the holiday season. Avoid feeling as though you have to please everybody and buy something for everybody and have the latest and the greatest. That's not what it's about when it comes to those we love so much. Listen, Christmas is not uh, flat screen TVs. Somebody say amen. Christmas is not uh, about a new laptop computer. It's not about a, a new digital uh, this or digital that. It's not about doorbuster deals, which I don't guess they even really have those anymore. I wrote it down for some reason. Because... So many people made it about that for so many years. Christmas is not even about providing toys and games for our kids. Christmas is truly about the birth, the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ our Lord. And listen, we would do ourselves a favor this coming week. If we avoid some things, now listen, of course, I'm up here with presents in my hand, amen? I'm not saying don't go to Walmart and buy something, amen? I'm not saying that. Uh, I, I was there yesterday with all the other crazy people. I was right in there and I bought some gifts. And I bought some for some, for some people earlier in, in the last couple weeks and praise God, I'll probably buy some more on Christmas Eve because I like the challenge. But here's what I am saying. If you're tempted with that feeling in your gut of, oh no, it's not going to be a good Christmas without this and without that and without the other. What I'm encouraging you to do tonight is stop 
slow down, breathe, and just spend some time with the people that you love and the people that love you. I promise you this, that time will be well invested when you give it as a gift. Matter of fact, speaking about the commercialization and the hustle and the bustle, Proverbs 15, 16, I love this verse. It says, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. I remember when April and I were trying to buy our first house. It was in South Carolina. And God had put it on April's heart to move. He put it on her heart right after that family of mice ran out down the chimney and across her feet in that rental house. Is that the truth? She said, Travis, we are moving. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, okay. They didn't bother me all that much. I mean, it pretty much, I didn't bother them. They didn't bother me. But April, that was another story. And so God put it on her heart. And we got to looking for houses. And, and, and we was looking for houses like that were, you know, $50,000 at this point in our life. And we came to the conclusion that we just can't do this. You know, this is just way too much money. We can't afford it. Uh, uh, this, that, the other, and, and it was discouraging. And, and, and we're trying to get approved for this and, and, and finance for that. And it, it was, it truly stressed us out. And finally, April came to me and she said, as much as I hate mice, and as much as I don't like them, sometimes being in our living room, it was the winter, we lived in the field, it was just a part of it. Uh, living in the country. She said, I found a verse today and it was that verse right there. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. And she said that in her Bible study, God showed her that it would be better for us to stay in that little house and trust God and don't worry about it than to, than to try to buy something just for the sake of buying it and going through all the strife and the trouble that it was causing us. And we prayed that night or, or, or there soon after and we basically said, okay, Lord, because we had had that new house fever. We wanted to buy a house. And, and we prayed and we said, you know what, Lord? Don't worry. We don't need a new house. And I think now that I look back, one of the big problems was Ernest money. We didn't have, we didn't even know Ernest, much less if he had money. And it was bad. And it wasn't a week. This was in like 1999 or something like that. 2000, I don't know when it was. It was a long time ago. It wasn't a week and Preacher Malcolm came to our house. He, uh, he said he had been somewhere preaching and they gave him a generous love offering. He said, I don't know why. He said, but God told me to bring this offering and give it to you. I said, I know why. <laughs> Sit down, I'll tell you. 
And that money that Preacher Malcolm gave us is what God used to open the door to buy our first house. But it was after we decided, you know what? It would be better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. So sometimes it would behoove us to avoid some things. But there's another way we can give our family the gift of our time, and that is not only by avoiding, but by affirming. That is, work hard to affirm to your children, to your mom, your dad, to your spouse, to those you love, that it is them that you love, not what they can do for you. Say amen right there. And let me tell you this, those that love you the most, you want, you want to know what they really want from you? They want your time. I can look back, my kids are 19 and 22, 3, 2, 2, it's a 2. And I can honestly say, the best points in Sarah's childhood with me and Hunter's childhood with me were those moments when we just did something together. We just spent some time. I can't, now maybe they can think of a very meaningful present, maybe, I don't know, I'm sure they could. But if you went and found Sarah right now, she's a small group leader in TSM. That's why she's not up here no more. But if you went and got her right now and cornered her and said, Sarah, real quick, name one of the best fun times you had with your dad in the last 10 years. I guarantee you she would go to the day that we just went and ate lunch. We went riding around listening to that kind of music she likes to listen to. <laughs> And then we wound up throwing rocks at floating glass bottles in a canal. Literally. It, just a, a ditch in Florida, we call them canals, a big old ditch with a whole bunch of uh, algae and stuff growing up and people throw trash in there. And we just stood for two hours with, with rocks from the, from, the, from the little gravel road and trying to hit those glass bottles and break them. She has talked about that little day date more than she's talked about anything she and I has done in her whole 19 years of life. Wow. It didn't cost me much of nothing. But it cost me a day of my time. Let me ask you this question. How much time... Have you spent lately with the people you love and the people that love you? If it's not much, let's get on it. Amen. And let's spend some time. Number two, let's look at gift number two. And category number two is, uh, let's see, where are we at? Oh boy, this is a big one right here. Not only... Our family, we give them the gift of our time. But category number two is our friends. And with our friends, we give them the gift 
of our encouragement. Now, this probably ain't a big surprise to you because you probably got that wrote down on your paper, but I like the, the props, amen? Our friends get the gift, they should get the gift of our encouragement. I was blown away today when I was studying this and discovering how much the Bible has to say about friendship and, and, and what friends can do one for another. A real common friendship verse is uh, found in Proverbs 27, uh, 17. It says, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know what that means? That literally means if you have a good friend, they're going to make you a better person. And if you are a good friend to your friends, you'll make them a better person. A man can sharpen and be sharpened by the right kind of friends. Hebrews 3.13. Here's a good friendship verse. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Have you ever thought that your friendship and your gifts of encouragement could help to prevent your best friends from being hardened in their heart by the deceitfulness of sin? You say, preacher, can, can, can a friend really help another friend that much? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar they can. Matter of fact, our friends can either make us or break us. Have y'all heard the story in the Old Testament about Amnon? Oh, my goodness. The Bible said Amnon, but Amnon had a friend. His friend put him up to some sinister stuff and his friend was his downfall. Now, if you ask me, that wasn't much of a friend. That teaches us we had better be careful who our close friends are because they influence us. You know this Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily. The word exhort means to embolden. To embolden someone. It means to cheer. To give strength. Every once in a while, one of my friends might call me and say, Hey, Travis, I just wanted you to know I prayed for you today. I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know you've been a blessing to me. And you know what that does for my faith? It emboldens me. It makes me think, and typically, I'm down on myself, and I'm thinking, man, I'm no good. Boy, that sermon I did wasn't, oh, it just wasn't much of nothing. I'm this, and I can't do that. And then I'll get one of them phone calls, and all of a sudden, I think, well, let's get back up and try it again. And my friend has done brought me encouragement encouragement. I like Hebrews 10, 24. 
It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. To provoke. A lot of times we think about provoke in a negative sense. Like, don't provoke me. But you know what we need to be doing as friends? We need to be provoking one another to love and to good works. Provoke means to move, to incite. It means to stir up. So how do we give the gift of encouragement to our friends? Well, two things here. A, by listening. And B, by loving. By listening. I heard a preacher say one time, there's a reason that God gave us uh, two ears and only one mouth. <laughs> because we're supposed to listen more than we speak. April shared this verse with me today, James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved... Br- hey, maybe she was talking about me. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The scripture literally says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. You know, Jesus was a great listener. You ever thought about that? I had not thought about it literally until this morning or this afternoon when I was studying this. Think about this. He listened to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He listened to the two men that he met on the road to Emmaus. This was in Luke 24 after his resurrection. He listened to the woman that he healed in Luke 8. He listened to blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Remember that story? There was so much commotion and and, and the disciples knew how important Jesus was. And blind Bartimaeus, he heard Jesus passing by and he'd heard about him. He'd never seen him, but he heard about him and he cried out. He said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him. Stopped dead in his tracks and just listened to a poor, broken man. And of course, gave him his sight. You see, when we listen, we communicate that our friends are appreciated, valued, respected, loved, that they're significant, that they are known, and so much more. And I'm going to tell you when this first really, really, really struck me. I don't remember what year it was, but several years ago now, I have a really good friend over in Appling, Georgia. And his mother is one of the best listeners I have ever met. Uh, This lady and her husband are extremely affluential people. Affluential, influential, influenza. They they got it all. (laughs) I mean, they are the who's who of their community. And they are also wonderful Christian people that love God. And, but they're, they're, 
she's a lady that you would just think in your mind, oh, she don't have time for me. And I was uh, at my friend's house one day, maybe it was a birthday party, I can't remember what it was, but I think April might have been with me. And we were at his mom and dad's house. And she engaged me in conversation. And I was just awestruck because as we were talking, she didn't have a cell phone that she kept glancing at. There was other people talking around us in the kitchen or wherever we were. No one, she didn't turn her head, not one time. In about a five minute conversation, she didn't acknowledge anyone else in the room. No, it was like no one else was on the planet. She looked me dead in my eyes and she just nodded her head and listened. And she'd ask a question and she'd say things like, tell me more. And I'm telling you, if it was a, 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 a plot to make me think she was a good listener, she did it. And that particular day, it just struck me. Oh, I think I ain't never listened to nobody in my life. <laughs> not if I'm comparing myself to her. And, and I'm not good at it. I, I'm not, I, I got to do better. And, and I'm convicted just thinking about this. But have you considered that if you're listening just in an effort to wait for that pause so you can get in what you need to say, we're not really listening at all. I found out one of the best things we can do in our homeless ministry when we're ministering to people, just sit there and listen to them a little while. Just listen. As a matter of fact, if you listen long enough, the true needs will usually surface. But when we fail to listen, we communicate that our friends are dis disrespected, they're ignored. We communicate to them that they're unworthy, that they're unwanted, that they're invisible. Think about that. That they're invisible. And on and on and on and on. So I'm asking you, will you give your friend this time of the year, whoever... God puts on your heart. Give them the gift of encouragement by listening to them. And then by loving, by loving them. Now this seems like a no-brainer, but nothing can cause love to fall by the wayside like Walmart near Christmas. Amen? <laughs> so I suggest don't go there with your friends. <laughs> The Bible says in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Amen. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loveth at all times. Well, that's a difficult verse. There have been some times when I didn't want to love my friends very much. I ain't talking about you, Willie G. I don't know. Maybe I am. I don't know. Shoe fits. I'm kidding. And if I wasn't, he could take it anyway. Amen. 
But sometimes love isn't easy. And so that's a pretty tough verse. A friend loveth at all times. How about that verse where Jesus said, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I've commanded you. In other words, when we, it's not that we're only his friends if we obey. The thing is, we're not being friendly to him when we disobey. You see what, see what I'm saying there? And so the Bible tells us to love one another. There's a reason why the scripture says the greatest commandment is to love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and thy neighbor as thyself. Your neighbor is that person that God has put in your life to be your friend. And I got to tell you this. I have been blessed with some friends in my life who have seriously encouraged me. April has a couple of really good friends and that live out of state. And they don't get to see each other all the time, but every week they intentionally get on the phone and they listen to one another, they cry with one another, they pray uh, for one another, and when they hang up the phone, I don't know how it is on the other end, but on this end, what I've observed is April will hang up that phone and there's a little bit more of a, a skip in her step, a little pep in her step, a smile on her face. And it's because God gave her a friend and that friend has encouraged her heart. Let me ask you this as we move along right now. What friend of yours... Needs a little extra encouragement this week. Maybe it's a friend who's dealing with a sickness. Maybe it's a friend who's lost a loved one recently. Maybe it's a friend who's just having a, a tough way to go. Listen, it's not all about receiving, amen? We need to be giving these gifts. The gift of our encouragement. Well... That's a really good gift to give. But let's move on down the line here and look at number three. The, the third category of people in our lives to give, give gifts to is our fellow man. Our fellow man. That is the people that we come in contact with day in and day out. They're not necessarily our family, not necessarily our friends. They could be people we know, people we don't know. But there is a gift that we have that we can give to them. And this is a biggie. And it is the gift of our gospel. Amen. The gift of our gospel. That is the good news that we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you this. I can't save nobody. Amen. You can't save anybody. We don't have the saving uh, capacity, obviously, that the Lord Jesus Christ has. But, I, but I'm here to tell you this. God has given us, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 and 19, God has given us the ministry 
of reconciliation. In other words, God has entrusted us with the big job of giving the gospel to the world. Now, I got to say this about Temple Baptist Church. I have never been around a church family that was as giving and as loving toward people around the world as this church family is. The offerings that we do every year, the Change for Churches uh, offerings, you realize, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the money that we give in the Change for Churches offering to, to plant churches around the world, you realize that none of that I hope you realize that none of that money stays here to build up temple. None of the staff members get a paycheck. This is money that's selflessly given and then selfishly, selfishly, selflessly given away. Missions money is one of the most unselfish gifts that a church can give. Because it comes in and it goes right back out. It doesn't build a a better building for us. It doesn't pay to heat our our building. It doesn't pay for improvements. It doesn't pay for none of that. What does it do? It pays to take the gospel around the world to people that we may never, ever meet. At least not in this lifetime. It's an unselfish Gift, the gift of our gospel. Now, how do we give our fellow man the gift of of the gospel? Two ways. Number one, by showing. And then B, under that, by saying. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 1 through 6. The Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now watch this. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this verse, or these verses, tell us that we should denounce the hidden things of dishonesty and not walk in craftiness, not be deceitful. In other words, we have a responsibility to show those around us the gospel. Well, how can you show the gospel? By not being crooked. Amen? By not being a liar. By not being a thief. Or how about this? Let's just, let's just bring it home a little tighter. By not being a jerk. Amen. 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 By not fussing back at everybody in the wall, Mark. Say amen. 
We can show people the gospel by the way we live our life. Show them the gospel. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So we need to give the gospel by showing the gospel. However, living the gospel is not enough. I know that we want to say and we want to think, well, my life may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. And man, that sounds pretty Pretty clever, right? And I, and I agree with that to an, to an extent. To an extent. However, living a good life, doing good works, letting our light shine in front of people, not being crooked, being nice, and all those things, those are great. We need to show forth the gospel through our actions and through our lifestyle, but those are not enough. Listen to me. It's not enough to live a good life in front of people. I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to talk to my neighbor, but they see me every Sunday morning leaving the driveway, dressed up, going to church. They see me every, for 20 years, they've seen me every Sunday night leave going for church. For 20 years, they know that every Wednesday night they see me leaving. Listen, you don't know what they think about that. And they might surmise from that that you just have weird habits. I'm trying to say this. It's not enough to just live in front of the world in a certain way. It's good, but it's not enough. We must also open our mouths and tell the gospel. So we can show it by how we live, but we must say it with how we talk. Well, what do we say? What do we say? Just say your story. Amen. I've learned to do that this year in 2023. You say, well, good gracious, didn't you know how to do that? Well, yeah. But I went through a DMD training and learned a lot about how to do that a lot better. And I want to encourage anybody that's not been uh, in DMD and has not learned to live a lifestyle of, uh, 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 of, of praying every day for a burden and for an opportunity. You, you know, I, I want to encourage you, jump in and learn how to say the gospel. I guess I've heard Preacher Malcolm say this. So much, it's like second nature now. We can tell our story. What is our story? It's our life before we knew Christ. It's how we came to know Christ. 
And it's how our life has become different because of knowing Christ. That's our story. And here's the thing that's just burned into my mind. Remember how preacher tells us, uh, you can tell your story. Don't tell me you can't. You can because you are an eyewitness. You are there when it happened. And if you really think about it like that, it's pretty easy. I know speaking to a stranger isn't the easiest thing, but here's a little trick. Don't focus on, 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 on the fact that you're speaking to someone you don't know. Focus on what you do know. Your story. What happened to you? I love to tell people how God saved me. I mean, and here's the thing. Sometimes I'm not real excited about it, but about the time I get past my life before Christ and start telling them about, about how I came to Christ, about then yeah. is when the Lord, somehow, someway, the Holy Spirit, I reckon, yeah. excites my heart and all of a sudden, I, a joy comes over me and I can't wait to get to the end of the story. Yeah. Because of what God has done. And so, learn to tell your story. It's what your life was like before Jesus found you. And then how did he find you? And then, what's it been like since then? Our friend Felicity is over here. I told her this morning I was going to call her up here, but I'm not going to do that. But Felicity is uh, Sarah's best friend, I reckon. And... Um, I reckon, like, you're not. Felicity is Sarah's best friend. And Felicity has grown up around church and things, much like a lot of other people. And she knew about the Lord and all of this and that. But her and Sarah were in an awful car wreck back on May 22nd, right? Um, on May 22nd of this year, uh, the car that they were riding in left the roadway all of a sudden, found a culvert, and then found the air, end over end over end. And it was awful. But God used that accident and her mama's influence and her daddy's influence, her all of her church life in the past, and the influence of Sarah, her best friend, for months leading up to that, to bring her to a place in her life where she called out on the Lord to be her Savior. I'm talking about right after the accident this happened. And she went to, the, to one of the schools the other day with uh, uh, Pastor Tim Barbie. And for the first time, she went to one of the schools. This was last Thursday, I reckon. And she shared her story in front of all these school students. And she was, she, they called me after her and Sarah, and she was so excited. Now, I don't know if you sat up and recited that for hours on end the night before or not. You didn't? You're saying you didn't? Well, how were you able to do it? I guess it's just because it's your story. And, and God gave you the strength to say it. I'm trying to tell you this. If God's done something in your life, you can tell your story. But don't stop there. After you tell your story, then tell God's story. 
How do you give this wonderful gift of the gospel? Tell what God did for you and then tell what God will do for them. And it can be as complicated or as simple as you make it. I opt for simple. What do you say for God's story? Well, tell them about his death. Tell them about his burial. And tell them that he rose again. And he offers eternal life to all that will believe. And here's a little trick for, or a little secret. It's not a secret. I just said it's a secret for some reason. God does the saving, right? The Holy Spirit does the convicting, right? So that, that part's God's job. I'm trying to say this. You're not going to mess it up. If you think you can just for some reason uh, have the power to mess up God's sovereign plan to save old so-and-so that you're talking to, well, you must think an awful lot about yourself. You must think you're something. No, you're not going to mess it up. If you tell them what God did for you and what God's offered to the whole world, I promise you, God can do the rest. God can do the rest. So, show the gospel and say the gospel. Let me give you, well, before I go on, let me ask this important question. Have you given the gospel to anyone lately? If you were forced tonight to tell us the names of three people that you told about Jesus this year, how would that go? Could you tell us three names? Listen, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And that includes me and that includes you. God wants us to give the gift of the gospel. Number four, lastly, the last category, this is probably the most awesome for me and that is our heavenly father would you say that god is a, a category of people in your life amen i hope god is in your life and if god is in your life your heavenly father then the gift that we need to give unto him is the biggest gift of all and that is the gift of our worship oh my i only have five minutes so i don't have all the time I want to talk about this, but I want to tell you a couple things. Number one, worship simply means to adore, to adore, to pay divine honors to. Psalm 95 and verse six says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 96, 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. I like Matthew 4 and verse 10. Remember when Jesus was, was tempted of Satan? And Satan took him up and on this pinnacle and he's like, Listen, you can have all these things if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, uh, Get thee behind or get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I think we could all agree that the, one of the greatest gifts we can give God 
is the gift of our worship. How do we give God the gift of our worship? Well, let me tell you this. I'm not going to tell you how to worship. Boy, that'd be pretty presumptuous of me. As many different people there are here, there's that many different ways that we can worship God. And by the way, before I go any further, let me, let me give you just a little commercial timeout. You better be real careful about making fun of how somebody worships. Amen. If somebody in this congregation raises their hand, you need to just think, well, praise God for that. If, if somebody worships with, with tears, weeping, whatever you think, if it's negative, do yourself a favor. Keep your mouth shut. Because we don't know what it might have cost that person to be here praising God and worshiping God. Amen. That's just a commercial break for your own safety and my own safety. Don't mess with the people who are worshiping God. You say, well, they ain't doing it how I think they ought to. You don't, listen, we can't tell people how to worship and how not to worship. So I'm not going to do that tonight, but here's what I'm going to say. When we think about giving the gift of our worship to God, how do we do that? By realizing, okay, and then be by responding, by realizing. What do we realize? We need to realize who we are. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Goes on to say in verse uh, number five, then said I. In other words, after Isaiah got a good look at God, verse five, then said I, woe is me. You know why I think God hates pride so much? And by the way, the Bible says God hates pride. A proud look doth the Lord hate. I think he hates it because it's, Absolutely false. If I'm proud, that means I'm exalting myself above what's true of me. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when I realize just how sinful my life was, how lost I was, how undone I am without God in my life, then it should cause me to respond. So we need to realize and then respond. We respond to who God is. That's why Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me. I'm unworthy. I'm undone. I'm, I'm just a sinful man. But God, you are holy. Amen. 
I like this definition of worship. Worship is a broken man's response to a perfect God. So while I can't tell you how to go about worshiping God, what I can tell you is that when we get the correct view of ourself, it should incite the response of worship inside of our heart. Um, I remember the very first time that I worshipped God. Really. I didn't do it on purpose, I don't think. I, I, well, I know I didn't. But it was when Preacher Carter Sr. led me to the Lord. He led me to the Lord. And in that, in that time when he was explaining the gospel to me, for the first time ever, I realized I was a sinner. I mean, I guess I knew that before, but at this time, the Holy Spirit had convicted me and I realized I was a sinner in the presence of a God. The God of heaven. And so after I prayed the sinner's prayer, I mean, I opened my eyes and I'm like, wow, I, I, I honestly felt different. He gave me some verses of assurance and then immediately we went inside the house and Sister Becky, his wife, opened the door. She'd been watching out the window. She knew exactly what was happening. And we opened the door and he said, tell Sister Becky what happened to you. And I went, I, I got... I couldn't even say it. I just started weeping. She said, come here, honey. We've been praying for you. And she gave me a big old hug, and I just bawled like a baby. I didn't know it then, but looking back now, I think that was my first official act of worship. It was the response of a sinner's heart to the feeling of safe in the arms of God. Amen. Stand up with me tonight if you would. I want to encourage you, offer these gifts this week, but not just this week, every week of the year. Let's worship God, let's encourage our friends, let's spend time with our family, and let's give this gift of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen.